Hello, everybody. This is Stan R. Mitchell, and you're listening to the View from the Front podcast, a show about military matters happening around the world, followed by some motivation at the end of each episode, because who doesn't need all the motivation they can get at least once or twice a week? Every Tuesday and Friday, I discuss military and defense news, as well as some history, motivation, and wisdom, and I do all of this from a moderate perspective. I am your host, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10 years as a journalist learning about our government and how it works. I went on to become an author and have written 11 books to date, and now I'm here, a twice-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really enjoy talking about military matters and motivation, and I am truly honored that you're here. I will also say that our democracy doesn't work if we don't have informed voters, and I think foreign policy decisions are the most important decisions that we face as a country. They lead to greater consequences, such as more deaths, higher spending, etc., Foreign policy decisions can be tragic and heartbreaking, and it's important that we get them right. And when we get them wrong, such as when we did in Vietnam, then the faster that we can course correct, the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think much can be gained from discussing these topics and creating a community where we talk about these issues twice a week and do our best to make the correct decisions. This is the August 23rd edition of The View from the Front. And we're really glad to have you here. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please consider subscribing. At a minimum, subscribe to the podcast through whatever channel you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, etc. All of my podcasts are free, but if you really want to be a rock star and support what we're doing, you can sign up at my Substack for $5 a month. Not only will that help encourage and sustain what we're doing here, <clears throat> as well as make it better, but it will also get you the Tuesday post on Tuesday, because the Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber. That way, it will encourage folks to subscribe to support what we're doing if they can, but it also doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month payment. At most, you're waiting an additional day for the content. And as you can tell, I'm dealing with a cold, so I'll do my best to make myself understandable and keep the coughing and um, nose running and all the other stuff as minimized as possible. Besides dealing with a small cold, I did want to say I am so appreciative for all the new subscribers we had since the last episode. That has seriously like made my day. And it's also, you know, kind of encouraged me that we all have our political disagreements, whether you're on the left or the right or somewhere in the middle, which I think a lot more of us are than we want to uh, or than what the news says are. Um, but when it comes to foreign policy, I think this is something that we can discuss without getting too angry at each other, etc. You know, we all support the troops. And when we go somewhere, we support the troops. We support um, what we're doing as much as we can. We can have policy disagreements. But I think when it comes to foreign policy, you know, this is just something that I think should unite us. We have American troops all over the world, every continent, and um, they're doing unbelievable work every single day to protect us, to defend us, to train other forces, to stabilize countries, 
Uh, I don't really have a script for everything they're doing, but they're doing unbelievable work. I've been on those deployments. Some of you listening to us have been on those deployments or are on those deployments. Um, I do appreciate all the military subscribers we've got. Um, but at any rate, um, that really does help give me hope. I know that uh, we're really divided right now. So let's begin with, I wanted to first address the uh, grain shipments coming out of Ukraine. This is kind of one of those classic situations where there's a huge problem in the world. It gets a ton of news. Everyone freaks out about it. And then it just kind of like goes away. And in this case, it kind of went away once there was some uh, deal made between Turkey, um, the West, and um, Russia and Ukraine. And when the first ship left, there was, you know, great fanfare. Would it hit any mines? Would there be any issues? Would any, the Russians do anything with their blockade that they'd had in place? Uh, but since then, there's been almost silence. So I started digging around and managed to find a few different little small sources. But like I said, it's mostly not been in the news. Um, one, one source was from the BBC. Um, they say that up to 40 ships have been loaded with what they called foodstuffs at its port, which is some of the worst writing that uh, one can do. I don't know what foodstuffs are. Uh, in other articles, you'll see it grain, uh, sunflower seeds, etc., or foodstuffs, I guess, if we're going to start using that word these days. But um, so they're saying 40 ships have been listed. I've seen on Twitter 25, 28 ships maybe have left, departed, depending on who you're believing. Um, but the bigger news is the fact that it's not in the news means good things are happening. Um, the BBC article did mention that, um, where's the amount? That so far there's been 900. And 48,000 tons have been exported by sea or land. Um, but unfortunately, the, by last year, it was at 1.8 million. So basically about half as much grain has departed that had been. But the good news is this has mostly fallen off the news um, because it's starting to get resolved. And that's great news, not only for food prices for us, but especially for poorer countries such as Africa, where they do buy a lot of that grain. and they can't handle the inflationary issues that um, Americans, you know, we can adjust what we, you know, spend, whether it's on cable or a hundred other things that half of us spend money on and we probably don't need. Um, if you're in Africa or some of these poorer countries and food, I mean, food is what we all have to eat. You can't do a lot of adjusting. A lot of these countries, they live on very few dollars per day per person. And so it's a bigger deal. So I'm glad to see that that's being um, dealt with and that it's mostly left the news because that was something that uh, a lot of analysts were worried about a few months ago. So that is absolutely great news. Um, a lot of people deserve a lot of praise for helping make that happen. And I'm glad it's uh, been dealt with because I think the Russians were pretty serious about using that as a tool for leverage uh, against Ukraine and the West. And thanks to uh, Turkey, um, the administration, and the folks who helped work out the deal. And I think also the club that was increasingly discussed, which was a lot of nations, I think, were going to deal with the Russian blockade because uh, the world was not going to allow Russia to hold the rest of the world hostage and starve it. So there was a lot of talk about a coalition-type navy um, doing something, and um, which is for my serious listeners, if you go back many months 
think it's been three or four months. I could find the links, but you can find them. And uh, I unfortunately don't have time to look for it. But uh, my my regular listeners and readers will remember that there was a weekend when this was a big deal, and I was just so frustrated. And it just hit me. I was thinking about my own street. We've got one neighbor that's kind of a pain and how one neighbor could literally, you know, in an extreme situation, ruin a neighborhood, so to speak. And it hit me that I was like, you know, at some point, if one neighbor is just absolutely out of control, every every neighbor other than the crazy one needs to just get together, show up on their front yard and say, you know, what, we're not putting up with this crap anymore. And having that thought based on a local situation, it hit me. Why not have the freaking entire world, just not the entire world, but, you know, the advanced countries, especially in the West, create something that wasn't just NATO and say, we're going to escort these ships out and you're not going to blockade food. And if you want to fire on us, then you can deal with the consequences. So I had this crazy idea. I put it on Twitter. Everything's time mark linked, et cetera. All my regular readers know this. And then literally like a week or so later, people started talking about it. And then even uh, Admiral Stavridis wrote a column. I'm not saying it was my idea. I'm just saying I was just increasingly pissed off, probably like a lot of people. And I just threw something out. And I'm sure a lot of people were kind of having the same idea. But the Russians knew that the West was not going to tolerate um, holding the world hostage. And so a deal was made. Uh, I've not really dug into the deal. And I'm sure that the Russians are probably getting some money out of it. And that infuriates me. But for the moment, we get the grain out. We deal with that keep the world from starving. And um, I think the Russians are going to get their due further on. And hopefully if the Ukrainians can eventually retake the Crimean Peninsula and deal with, deal with a few other little things that are in the uh, Black Sea, then maybe the Russians won't even be able to play these games. So that's a long-term thing, obviously. But I'm glad that the grain's going. And um, I just wanted to follow up on that because, like I said, you're not really going to find that in the news. I, I haven't seen hardly anything in it. Um, in fact, what reminded me of it was a, a uh, article in The Economist that said that food prices were starting to drop. And then I was like, oh, yeah, why is no one really talking about the grain anymore? And so I started digging. So there you go. I try to like to get I like to give you guys news that you won't find anywhere else. that's kind of in the weeds. So there you go. There's the update on the grain situation in Ukraine. Staying on the topic of Ukraine for a moment, we've talked several times in the last few episodes about the attack on the air base in Crimea. Um, and whether or what it was, um, everything from long-range missiles, saboteurs, or locals who somehow launched drones. Um, the Washington Post had kind of staked out a position of saboteurs. No one still really knows. There's been additional attacks on ammunition dumps and other place, uh, other sites in Crimea. But what's interesting is I wanted to share a thread. You can find this in the source notes at my Substack um, from Oliver Alexander, a uh, analyst, and it's a classic Twitter thread. It's a little bit long, but uh, he does an incredible job of taking or um, uploading lots of photos of various strikes from the HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems and what their impacts look like to other types of air attack, uh, bombs, missiles, etc. And through this pretty long uh, Twitter thread, I can't remember if it's 12 or 15, but uh, pretty conclusively um, shows, in his opinion, that um, shorter-range loitering munitions, um, either launched from drones or that were drones, were probably used in the attack. And I've said, obviously, the last few episodes that I just couldn't believe that saboteurs did it, that I just under 
no circumstances, even with the incompetence of the Russian army, could I believe that saboteurs are running on this airbase and placing individual um, either explosives or some type of TNT or whatever, C4, on each of these planes. There were at least eight or nine of them damaged. I just could not believe that the Russians could be that incompetent. And um, so that's been my long-held position, as you all know, because you've listened to me, that it was either a long-range weapon system that the Ukrainians didn't want to admit having received from America, or, um, you know, that was pretty much my position, obviously. I just, the saboteur thing, I never really felt. But I will say, after looking at this thread, all the different impacts, they're very small impacts, they're very accurate. I think loitering munitions might be my new position now. So you can find that in the source notes. Again, I know Twitter is like this terrible place. Most, especially newer users, you get no good experience there. It's nothing but political screaming unless you learn to, you know, create a list, curate it, etc. But Twitter is a great way to get in the weeds on things. And it's worth creating an account if you don't have one, just so you can click links like the one I'm providing and go look at photos that you'll never get in the mainstream media anywhere else. And so he's got lots of impact sites, dates, etc. And he makes the case that um, it's probably loitering munitions. So amazing stuff. I'm glad I came across it. Um, can't remember who shared it, but link is there if you want to get into the weeds. And um, the bigger thing is that the Russians now have to realize that, oh, by the way, there are probably either special forces or local partisans who are being supplied with loitering munitions and you better find a way to defend those in Crimea because it's going to get worse. So great news for Ukraine. And uh, that's the update I wanted to give you on that topic. Moving along, I wanted to also talk about, um, I've uploaded a link to a video of General Barry McCaffrey. And he said that uh, in a news interview that Russia is facing a, quote, growing desperation, end quote that the Ukrainians are fighting a deep battle using HIMARS, which are those multiple launch rocket systems that we've talked about so much. Um, special, they're using HIMARS, special operations, and partisan operations. Uh, and he says in the uh, interview that I posted that he thinks the Russians are in, are in trouble. And part of why he says that, and we've kind of gone into this before, is that Basically, these HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems have such a range and such an accuracy that the Russians don't have anything that can hit them. Um, so the HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems are moving closer to the front line at night. They're launching and then they're running. And then so the Russians are basically just they're up against the ropes and they're getting punched and they can't really punch back. So um I don't know really at this point how Vladimir Putin deals with this. I've read some analysis on Twitter, which talked about that there is, a, you know, he could obviously institute a draft, but um, in Russia, it's the war doesn't seem to be very popular. They're not talking about it a lot. So if he institutes a draft, he's first going to get troops that are barely trained. They're basically going to be targets. And he's also going to increase the pressure on his own government in his own life, basically, because in Russia, you don't usually step down and, and get to live peacefully anywhere. So um, he's in his own bit of trouble. And moving from that bit of trouble, there was a car bombing that made a lot of news this week. No one really knows who did it. It was uh, aimed for a supporter of Vladimir Putin. Um, the Russians initially blamed the 
uh, Ukrainians for it. It makes no sense for it to have been the Ukrainians. There's lots of reasons for that. But uh, I don't know if if Vladimir Putin's up to some games or some other of the strong men under him. There are always people jockeying for positions, and it's way too soon to know who did it. But I'll put a link to that article. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. Um, but I'll put a link to it. But the short of it is no one knows who did it. Unfortunately, the target who was supposed to drive the vehicle and the car bombing wasn't um, in the car. At the last minute, there was a switch, and his daughter got in it. So she died in the car explosion. And um, I would say, I dare say there are a lot more people in Russia right now who are looking over their shoulders than, than before. And it's unfortunately, I wish it were the Ukrainians trying to target some of these folks, to be honest. Um, because a lot of people in Russia feel a little too safe and they're cheering a little too much. But I don't think in this case it was the Ukrainians. I don't think they have that ability, um, although the Russians will definitely try to blame them. But I'll keep people posted on that as we figure out who actually did it. Uh, I will say there was a group that's claiming responsibility for it. It's a new uh, resistance type group in Russia. A lot of people are trying to get their arms around it. Not a real well-known group. And some people are even saying that it's a group that like Putin is possibly inventing or inflating the danger from them so that he can further lock down um, any kind of um, dissent or disagreement with him in Russia. So I don't know if this is a real resistance group of Russians or if this is just Vladimir Putin playing his old KGB games, but we'll, we'll uh, do our best to stay on top of that story. And so I'll put the at least one store one link into the source notes, but you can pretty much just Google Russia car bombing and you'll see dozens of stories on this issue. And you will find almost hundreds of stories of speculation about who's behind it, the politics of it, blah, blah, blah. Because everyone's pointing fingers at everyone else right now. Okay, moving along. And I will say I lied. I said I would put one link to a story, but as usual, I like to uh, underpromise and overachieve. So I put up a link to a video in the source notes where there's a Russian uh, ex-member of parliament who's claiming, who talks about the resistance group and that they're the ones who bombed the car. And um, so I'll put that link there. I also put a link to another story. I tried to, uh, I decided to put a little bit more. And you can go into the weeds if you want. I might even throw a third link in here in a second, but um Links are there. You can start down this fun journey that I've been half reading about. It's fun trying to solve this mystery. But the honest truth is none of us are going to know in the short term, even though that group is claiming responsibility. Like I said, I don't know if it's a real group yet, how how legit they are, or if it's some kind of a, like Putin operation. But uh, moving along, there was on that same subject, um, former Ambassador Michael, uh, Michael McFall made a good point, which is that if, you know, for those who think Vladimir Putin is wildly popular, why does he keep crushing his uh, opponents and not really holding free and fair elections, such as Navalny being in jail and other people that he's executed? It's just a, a kind of overly obvious thing, but we kind of forget sometimes that uh, Vladimir Putin is dealing with some real pressures. If he was as popular as he claims and is in control of his country as he claims, uh, he probably wouldn't be taking some of these actions. So threw that tweet in there just so you could see it. Uh, we've talked about a potential offensive in the Kherson region. That's the southern part of the country. Most, As you know, most news coverage talks about to the far east Donbass, where the Russians had pushed in a bit. 
But in the southern part, Kurson's been making the news. Um, just wanted to do a quick update on that, where there was a Kiev article, a Kiev Independent article that talked about that um, they Ukraine would probably uh, block off the city. They're not going to try to take it. They're going to basically try to blockade it and starve out the Russians until the Russians surrender. And uh, General Mark Hurtling, who's got his arms around the whole Ukraine war as well, or better than almost anyone, he agreed that a, quote, large-scale counteroffensive would be tough, but that many smaller-scale deliberate attacks are possible. And he reminded us that Kherson is like a province that's the size of Maryland, that it's it's a big place. This isn't going to be easy to do. But he does end by saying it will happen. So I've got a link to that as well. Um, so that's there. Now moving further forward. The United States did announce a new uh, round of assistance. Um, this one's a little bit less than a billion dollars. It's $775 million. It included, and I got a link to this from the uh, Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, but it included additional ammunition for the HIMARS or the uh, multiple launch rocket systems we talk about. So the Ukrainians are going to get more ammunition, not stated how much. So the Russians can worry about that for a bit. They're going to get 16 more howitzers. These are 105 millimeter instead of the uh, 155. So they're a little bit smaller. But artillery is always a good thing, especially in a long range game. And they're going to get 36,000 shells for that. So um, hello, Vladimir Putin. I hope you enjoy that little gift. Um, they're going to get 15 unmanned aerial systems to help target that. They're going to get some uh, mine-resistant vehicles with mine rollers. Um, why do you need those? There's only one reason, an offensive. Good news there. Um, they're going to get some uh, of what we call those harm missiles, the uh, anti-radiation missiles, the ones that basically take out um, radar and um, have been increasingly being put to use. So hello, air superiority. Let's work toward that a little bit. And then they'll also get some additional vehicles, some tow missiles. Those are the wire-guided ones that were big in the, like the 90s. They have a really good range. They're still used by all of our, uh, by the Army, the Marine Corps, by our active duty folks, um, the tow missiles. You've probably heard of them. They're also getting a thousand more javelins, some uh, anti-armor rounds, some mine clearing equipment, some demolition stuff, tactical secure communication systems, and let's also throw in some night vision, some thermal imagery, and some laser range finders. So Ukraine's getting some more good stuff, and um, that should absolutely be keeping uh, Vladimir Putin up at night because that is a, uh, a good list of some stuff that um, uh, should have Russia worried. And I, I didn't even think to throw a link in. I've read it several places, but while all of this is going on um, and while there's broad support in Ukraine for you know getting the Russians out, um, unlike what Vladimir Putin expected. He thought he'd just walk in and everybody would welcome him. Uh, but all of NATO is um, training troops of Ukrainian troops. They're flying them to various places in Europe. They're getting good training and they're going back in. So while the Russians are increasingly gasping and struggling to replace losses, the Ukrainians are are just getting more and more effective. And um, I think we're going to increasingly see that as time passes. This is, as I put in the video link earlier from uh, uh, Barry McCaffrey, the Russians are in a tough spot and it's not going to get any easier. So it'll be interesting to see if they start to try to negotiate some kind of peace to hold on with what they've got. They've uh, This is obviously their third invasion. They took uh, the Crimean Peninsula in 2014. 
They also entered the Don Bass region, and I think they want to hold on to those. But as we've said in previous episodes, increasingly the Ukrainians are saying, we're not going to stop until we've taken every single inch back. So I certainly hope that's the latter, because I think uh, that'll be the only way to keep the Russians from um, continuing to pester and basically try to blackmail Ukraine as a country. I think if you leave them in with a foothold, then they're going to wait a year or two, and then they're going to again demand something, or they're going to send more troops, or they're going to do some kind of attack, or Vladimir Putin's going to say, hey, the such and such region is unstable and Russian citizens are threatened, so I need to send troops in to protect them. It's one of his favorite plays. So it's my firm hope that Ukraine not only continues to bloody Russia's nose, but pushes them from every inch of Ukraine. Um, because otherwise, this doesn't end, unfortunately. So uh, so that's the latest um, additional stuff we're sending. I put a link to that as well in the source notes. Moving along, I wanted to talk about the Kerch Bridge. So what is the Kerch Bridge? I'm glad you asked. So the Kerch Bridge is after the Russians took Crimea in 2014, they decided that, hey, you know, this place is you know, only approachable by sea. To the north is Ukraine. So how are we going to supply it and, you know, reap more economic benefits from it? Well, the Russians decided they would build a land bridge there, or just a regular bridge, I guess, which would create a land bridge. And so they built the longest bridge in Europe. It's also the longest bridge that Russia has ever built. It cost billions of dollars, but they built it so that there's a road there, and there's also, it's a parallel bridge, and there's also train tracks. So through this, they can move, obviously, people, and Russians have been visiting Crimea, and they obviously have a train that can, you know, train tracks so they can reinforce that way. Well, interestingly, um, I've got a link to an article where the United States has told Ukraine that the Kerch Bridge is a suitable target. And so actually just uh, one day ago, the Ministry of Defense for Ukraine posted a photo of basically a way to troll the Russians, but it showed a HIMARS, the multiple launch rocket system, on a raft. And of course, they picked a pink raft to further troll the Russians. But the tweet said, um, get the exact wording. It said, um, Kerch Bridge, dot, dot, dot. We are watching you, exclamation point. And so what they're trying to do is further scare Russian tourists and people. Uh, there are Russians who have been visiting or and, and or moved and or live in the Crimean Peninsula. And increasingly, these Russians are starting to flee. And so there's been some talk about if uh, how would the Ukrainians destroy this bridge? It's outside of current uh, weapons um, length or distance. So they don't really have a way yet without some type of special forces activity or some type of naval raid or something very risky. But there is increasing talk about them blowing this bridge. But uh, they, uh, I think part of what they're trying to do is not only get into Putin's head on this, but they're also trying to increasingly get the Russians to evacuate and leave. They don't want Russian citizens or tourists there because that's going to lead to a larger humanitarian crisis if and when they destroy this bridge. But uh, I do think uh, it's definitely on their list of uh, things to take out. 
I think they've shown that they're very innovative. There are some ways they could probably pull off taking it out. And um, I'd say they've already explored them or and or are exploring them. I think they're trying to get the Russians to leave. And they're also wanting the Russians to consider more ways to have to defend this bridge. Um, if there's not a way to take it out in the short term, then they can divert some Russian attention bandwidth, so to speak, maybe even make some Russian forces have to be over there, some naval uh, boats, etc. cetera. Uh, like I said, the bridge is huge, um, 11 miles long, so that's a lot to defend. And um, I don't know if it'd be divers. I'm not sure the various ways they could take it out. I don't claim to have all the answers, but uh, it's going to be uh, interesting watching um, what may or may not happen to that bridge. And that is one of Vladimir Putin's prized possessions because, like I said, it helped connect the Crimean Peninsula to Russia, which made it everything more economically viable. And so if they take that out, then you can absolutely count on Ukraine planning to take the entire Crimean Peninsula back. So we'll keep an eye on that. I'll keep you posted um, if and when something happens there. All right, so let's move off away from the Russian-Ukraine conflict, and let's talk about our own military a second um, and the issues it's having with recruiting. Obviously, the job market is just super hot right now in America. Everywhere is having strug struggling to find good people, and that is affecting our military as well. The Navy is now currently offered, this is absolutely blew my mind, the Navy is offering up to $115,000. Yes, I said more than $100,000. $115,000 to join or to re-enlist. I got a link to that article in military.com. Um, I read it. I just I couldn't even believe it could possibly be right. It is correct. Um, so the Navy is seriously struggling to fill its ranks and keep them filled, which is probably partly why they continue to explore the uh, unmanned ships and some uh, increasingly you know robotic type um, options because it's just expensive to get people and keep people. Similarly, uh, the Army is projecting a shortfall of 28,000 soldiers next year. I got a link to that from Defense One, so that's not a good thing for the Army. Uh, and um, I also put a link to uh, the Marine Corps is claiming they've had, quote, tremendous success, end quote, in convincing troops to stay in the service. So I know the Commandant had made a uh, big deal about trying to keep folks in. So apparently the Marine Corps is trying its best to keep people in. And um, so that'll be interesting to see how all this continues to play out with the various services. Um, but definitely tough to get people in right now. Uh, while we're discussing the various forces, one final thing that I wanted to share was the Air Force re recently grounded its Osprey uh, helicopters. It has about 52 because of a hard clutch issue. Um, they had two, di two different uh, issues in the last six weeks. And there were a couple that happened in 2017. So this is mostly used by their special operations folks. And so that's grounded while they try to find an issue. The only reason I'm bringing this up is it's kind of a big deal. But what's funny is since that came out, uh, all the different departments, all the different news agencies obviously went to the Marine Corps, which is one of the primary users of the uh, Ospreys, has hundreds of them. Uh, and the interesting thing is the Marine Corps is not standing down. They're not going to stop flying them. And they actually announced that the Marine Corps had known about this hard clutch issue since 2010. And it said, as such, we have trained our pilots to react with the appropriate emergency control measures should the issue arise during flight. 
And I left an article, a link to an article from Defense One about it. But essentially, when Marine pilots take off, they do a hover check to test this issue, and then they fly normal. But uh, it's interesting because I thought if there's a single thing that perfectly defines the Marine Corps, it's this article. And um, the Marine Corps probably, I would dare say, has a higher... Um, it's not that the Marines don't care about their people. I was going to say they probably have a higher accident rate. I would honestly probably stand by that, having served there. Obviously, some Marines drowned in an AAV accident a few years ago. But the Marine Corps always says two things. One, mission accomplishment. Two, troop welfare. And they always remind you, number one is mission accomplishment. There is no doubt in my mind the Marine Corps, having served, they get the job done. And we do it with older gear, crappier gear, uh, cheaper gear. And so classic example of how the Marine Corps operates right there. They're flying around in helicopters that they know have issues. Uh, it does say in the article they're working with a manufacturer and have for the past 10 years. But it'll be interesting to see, now that the Air Force isn't flying this, if the Air Force relents since it's come out that the Marine Corps is still flying them and decides to fly them. Or, and I think this is a possibility, although apparently there's no easy fix or that would have been done in the past 10 years. I would dare say, though, there's a possibility the Air Force throws so much money at this and so much attention that they find a fix and um, they get it done. That's the way the Air Force is. Anyone who's been on an Air Force base, you know how nice they are. Air Force is going to take care of its people and get this taken care of. The Marine Corps is just going to say, well, that kind of sucks. We have this issue. How can we can it still fly? Oh, it can still fly. Well, let's just fly. It. We'll figure it out a way. So I think it's just a mentality in the services. But anyway, kind of interesting story. Got a link to the Air Force grounding it. Also got a link to the Marine Corps saying, hey, we've known about this for 10 years. And that is a great way to end the news section. I will add, however, that I am adding three things, which I'm just calling bonus material, of three different stories that might interest you that I wanted to link to in the source notes uh, as a way to just give you guys more and to also, you know, drive some traffic to the Substack uh, website that I have. The first bonus material article is an article in foreign policy about how Iran's expansion with its militias into Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen has kind of gotten some Arab nations a little bit, you know, rattled and scared. And so they are starting to see Israel, who's obviously typically a, an enemy of Saudi Arabia and some of these other countries, as a potential defense ally because of Israel's incredible military capabilities. So I've got a link to that article. Also got a link from military.com to an article about a Marine who learned to box in the Marine Corps and how they that Marine delivered one of Muhammad Ali's five losses and he broke Muhammad Ali's jaw. So, Ura Marine Corps, as a Marine, I had to post that one. And then I'm also got an article, bonus material, to um, an article from the U.S. Naval Institute about how the attack on that Russian warship, the Moskva, uh, has moved the Navy to speed up laser defense for ships. So, the Navy saw potentially a weakness with the Russian defense of that ship, and so they're speeding up laser defense against the missiles for ships. I got a link to that article. You can read that as well. So all three of those, a little bit of bonus material for you if you go to my website, which is just stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. And with that, let's move to the best part of every edition, which is just the uh, motivation and wisdom section. As I say each and every week, I'm just going to read these. These are all gathered from Twitter. There's some great people to follow. 
And so if you need more motivation than just twice a week, then I suggest you follow these folks. So let's just get started. First one, here's a quote. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. It's a great one. Next one. You're meant to be something great. Don't settle for anything less. Another one. The best fighter is never angry. Here's another one. Small wins are still wins. Celebrate them all. That's a good one. I'm going to read that one again. Small wins are still wins. Celebrate them all. There we go. Quit beating yourself up. You're probably just like me, aren't you? Okay, here's another one. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. That's a quote from Winston Churchill, shared by Navy SEAL Mark Devine, another great person to follow. Again, the quote is, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. I can't talk. Let me say it again. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Winston Churchill. You can't get better than that. Another quote. The first and best victory is to conquer self. That's from Plato. Um, here's another one. Never stop being a good person because of bad people. Great one. Another. You don't become what you want. You become what you believe. That is a deep one. Next one. Intelligent people aren't offended by the truth. Another good one. Next. Your actions today will determine where you will be tomorrow. Another good one. And then finally, I'm going to wrap up with one that was shared by a new follower and supporter, I guess, friend or whatever. Uh, his name's Anthony Sp uh, Spadero. I'm probably going to say it wrong. Spadero. But uh, retired Sergeant Major from the Marine Corps. And I had put up kind of a motivational quote, like I always do. And he had replied, replied continue to validate your credentials. And that absolutely blew me away. So continue to validate your credentials. I had talked about lifting, I think, on the post. And he had replied, continue to validate your credentials. And it still hit me days later um, that how deep that is. Because we all know people who were something great in the past. They were an all-star athlete. They were a decorated vet. They're an academic genius. But then we see them let themselves go or they settle below their potential. And if you even bring anything up they're super defensive about it and they'll be like but i did this back then they almost scream and anyway don't be that way be the one who did that back then and is now doing it right now and if you didn't do it back then go ahead and start doing it right now might be kind of an awesome place to put your life in so end with that one um and then there's a good one that i thought man that could almost be a theme for the show or something that i want to end with and i'll probably throw this at the end of every show because it just really resonates with me and that quote is, be the reason someone smiles, be the reason someone feels loved, and believe in the goodness of people. So there you go. That's a good one to end on right there. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. Make sure to visit our website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you, you can subscribe to the show by email, or you can obviously subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite channel, just so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about it. That would help us as well. And if you really want to show us some love, throw a few bucks in the hat by subscribing. That will get you the Tuesday edition without the one-day delay, and it will also help us grow and improve the show. One other quick point, if you have a question you'd like me to answer, I'd love to hear them, whether they're military questions or any questions you might have about foreign policy or anything we're doing as a country in the world, 
please send them along. And finally, and if you dig military matters as much as me, make sure you check out my books. You can find all 11 of them on Amazon. Thanks again for joining us today. I will see you guys on Friday. Hope you have a great week. Work hard. Be kind.